Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the only person capable of awakening ancient evils, raising your undead characters, and lowering the constitution of all of the characters around the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch, and with us today is a special horrifying guest. He's been lurking in our podcast over the past couple months, and he's broken through the veil, and now he is here with us. Dungeon Master Neil, welcome to the entire show. Yes, I've I've pierced the thin veil between the DMnastics and the show, the regular show in its entirety. Well, we're hey, we're glad to have you. This is awesome. Chris couldn't be here tonight to record with us, and so you stepped up. I said, "Hey, let's get you on the show." And I'd like to say this is the first time that you've been on the show, but it's obviously besides DMnastics, it's actually not. And if you're a listener right now and you're going, "Uh, yes it is." Well, you're wrong, although you're kind of right, because Chris actually recorded an episode recently with you, Neil, and uh, it's just not going to be aired for a couple months, so technically, this is your first aired appearance, so we're happy to have you for this special Halloween episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. I am happy to be here, or terrified, (laughs) we will see. So, we're going to jump into a special Halloween story time, but before we do that, and then we go on to the awesome meat that is ahead, we have a couple five-star reviews to read out, and I suppose we should read these in creepy voices, because it is Halloween, right? So... (laughs) Uh, These, okay, scariest part about these is that all of these are coming to you directly from Canada. Ah! (laughs) So, the first one comes from Enzo Matrix, and it's entitled, Best Podcast for DMs. This podcast is just awesome. As a new DM, I find it extremely interesting and I learn a lot of stuff from each episode. It also gives me great inspirations that I can bring into my own campaigns. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> All right, you're up, Neil. <laughs> All right, here we go. Great community content by Mitchell C. Brown. Good name. Unfair. Unfair advantage on the good name. <laughs> Great content for both new GMs and veterans alike. The creativity and depth of these folks helps reinforce the gaming from either side of the table. In a constant learning experience, we can and should always be trying new things in our games. Stuff like this keeps our community vibrant and our games exciting. How am I supposed to be creepy when I have to say the words vibrant and exciting? I don't know. Dude, I think the funniest thing to say creepy is stuff. Like, stuff just doesn't come out creepy. But, hey, that was good. That was good. So the next so the next one comes from Mordred Blackmane, the best D&D podcast. Absolutely love this episode and listen religiously every week. Chris and Mitch do a great job giving DMs ideas and advice. P.S. Rogues are better at traps, even magical ones, than wizards. 
<laughs> okay. I'm gonna try I'm gonna try and do it as creepy as possible. Alright, do your best. Level twenty podcast with bonus food mate by Conclave of Shadows. I am currently twenty-four episodes into the podcast, listening whenever I can. If it was a book, I would not be able to put it down. Speaking of books, as a resource, this podcast is essential to my table as the DM's guide. The story hooks, character history, adventure plots, and the list-based episodes have transformed my games, leveling me up as a DM, allowing me to level my players both literally and as much better role players. The two hosts' advice transcend edition. While they may be veterans of the Great Edition Wars, their sound advice, fun stories, and experience teaches new and old DMs <clears throat> that it doesn't matter what edition you play as long as you have fun. Thanks for doing this, guys. Where can I buy a Food Mage t-shirt, and will you please publish the stats for a level 20 commoner? <laughs> Whoa, dude. That was so creepy. I can't even... Oh, man, that was nuts. Hey, but anyway, just uh, since that came up, we should mention right here, where can you get a a Food Mage t-shirt? Uh, n- nowhere, except <laughs> right now on Patreon for the Platinum Dragons, which, Neil, you are a Platinum Dragon. What is the prize, right? the reward right now for the Platinum Dragons? Currently, you will receive a, a illustrious food mage apron not a t-shirt an apron that you can wear i believe it says kiss the food mage so if you want if you want to kiss the food mage i don't know if it's too late in the game for them to get that but that's one reason to be a platinum dragon or any dragon the awesome rewards so all right with that let's head over to a special halloween edition of story time story time the time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns, our favorite moments, where we learned about ourselves, and what we learned about each other. Please join us now as we enjoy Storytime. All right, so for story time this week, we thought that we'd share some of our creepy stories from past games that we DM'd for. And so part of our meat that's coming up, we're going to talk about horror gaming in Dungeons and Dragons worlds, and we're going to talk about specifically witches. And so my story, I have this one story that sticks out in my mind of a an encounter with a witch. It's happened twice in my games that I can remember that I used witches, but the one story that always sticks out is the characters were going through an underground dungeon, and in this dungeon, they came into this room, and there was this big hole in the ground. It was so dark, even with their torches, they could not see the bottom and so they kind of just went okay well forget about that we're not gonna try and go down there we're gonna keep going into this cave and long story short they met this djinn who appears all the times in certain parts of my world to test adventures and if you play his games something really great could happen if you win if you fail something really bad could happen well this was the worst experience that my PCs ever had with this djinn and one of the punishments for getting one of his questions 
Jason's wrong is that he teleported one of the PCs away. Like they just, all the PCs are around him and he just disappears. They have no idea where he goes. He just all of a sudden goes from being with the group to seeing utter darkness. Little did he know that he had teleported to the bottom of that dark cavern that happened like hours ago in this like underground dungeon. And so he had his pack, so he lights a torch, and he he looks around, he's in this cavern, he looks up, and he sees, like, the opening, the hole, and he's starting to put two and two together, here I am, I know where I am, but he can't get out, like, he has no way out, so he starts to walk around, and he, remembering that this is this weird underground dungeon, he walks around, he finds this little cottage at the bottom of this underground, like, hole, and he's, like, thinking, what the heck is this? And so he decides, okay, I'll go go inside of this cottage he does so and he goes inside and there's nothing to be seen and for some reason or another he takes a seat in one of the chairs and what happened was that this is obviously where i'm talking about a witch story this is the witch's cottage like this creepy almost like not humanish witch she's just like disgusting to the point of like she's wrinkly and like her skin's like all flabby she's just disgusting looking i basically described my players like if you could think of like female golem this would be this witch. And awesome. so he likes takes a seat in the chair. And one of the things that he didn't realize was that this house was enchanted to basically trap anybody who came inside of it. So he like sits in the chair and all of a sudden the wood like warps around his whole like legs and arms. And all of a sudden he's just sitting in this chair. And so then he starts to hear somebody from outside like singing this creepy song. And it's this witch and she comes back home and she finds him and she's just like, oh, good dinner has arrived. And she just starts like cackling. And of course, this player, he's not a magic user. He's just I think he was a rogue and he's just totally like, what am I going to do? And so I was a nice DM and I said, OK, well, the witch wasn't there for a couple hours. She was out like scavenging or whatever she was doing. And so eventually I had this whole encounter where the rest of the PCs figured out what happened to this player. And so they went down the hole and they uh, started to try and attack this witch and her enchanted house and it just became this crazy battle but i remember this witch just being like crazy as as a boss battle because she all of a sudden was she had spider crawl like the spell only when she spider crawled you can imagine like this contorted old gross body like climbing like a actual spider on the walls at like super speeds like coming at the players in the dark it was this creepy like i don't we'll talk about this later but i think it's difficult in any kind of rpg because you're sitting at a table with players most of the time you're sitting in a lighted room you're laughing together i think it's hard it's really a hard thing to pull off to scare people like legitly scare people um i may not have completely scared my players with the explanation of this creepy witch like crawling at them and like wanting to cook their friend and such but i definitely creeped them out with my description of her like body moving along the walls and like you could hear like the bones popping in her arms and her legs and i call that a victory if you can legitly creep your players out so that was a fun encounter they ended up beating the witch my pcs none of them got eaten so but it was a really good (laughs) it was a really good uh creepy encounter so neil you have a creepy story from a past campaign why don't you share that for story time yeah so the 
didn't start in a tavern. They started on a boat. Okay. And the boat was stranded on an island. And so in and of itself, that kind of thing where the party gets begins to get stretched out in terms of resources and just their ability to do anything, I think it helps set the tone. Oh, yeah. And one of the players actually had a treasure map for the island that they were on. So they go and they find this essentially what's a well and they get lowered down into it. <laughs> so Just you're talking about down into bad places is the theme. Yeah, <laughs> so you're talking about a fairly restrictive area that this player is now stuck in and inside of the well were actually lacedons. Oh. So tell the tell the listeners are, what lacedons are. Yeah, so lacedon is essentially take a ghoul drown it instead or just have it be in the water and give it a swim speed because now i mean ghouls are terrifying anyways but the fact that now you're in a scenario where you don't really have the mobility or ability that you used to have on dry land and now this thing is there with you (laughs) and i think i'm pretty sure the lacedon pulled them under and so then it's scary of course for the player but scary for the other players because what are they going to do they can't just it's not this big open room to surround the lacedon so that can be definitely like environment like that can be a very frightening position for PCs to be in. Like I've noticed that if you put a PC PCs in a very small space that they can't move around a lot. in. like if you get in a fight in a small like tunnel. Yeah, they they don't know what to do with themselves sometimes. I think they eventually yanked the other player back up and then figured hmm. it out. But I know that it was it was pretty stressful. I mean, and you could tell that it was not comfortable for the players by <laughs> any means. But it worked out. Yeah, I'm looking I'm looking at pictures of Lacedons right now. They are grotesque looking. You know what it reminds me of is a is the from The Walking Dead when they come across that like zombie that's been in the well for a long time yes. kind of thing, only skinnier version, not as bloated. <laughs> <laughs> Although I can't figure out for the life of me why an, a ghoul from underwater has such a terrifyingly long tongue. <laughs> like, all the pictures are super creepy. Yeah, whatever the reason is, it definitely makes it creepy. So, nice. Well, that's our story time for this week. Let's move on to the meat of this episode. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. <laughs> Why can't we have some meat? Copy that! Just a mouthful! No! The plate meat back on the menu, boys! So for the meat of this episode, we're going to first off talk a little bit about horror in role-playing games. And then we're going to talk specifically a little bit about witches. Last year, we did a bunch of monsters. We're going to specifically talk about horror gaming, and this year, we're going to talk about witches in general. So, uh, first of all, horror gaming. Obviously, Halloween just passed. It was just yesterday. If you're listening to this podcast right off the bat, maybe you want to do a horror game if you haven't already done it for Halloween, or maybe that's just a type of role-playing game that you have always wanted to try out, and you want to bring that into Dungeons & Dragons but you don't really know exactly where to start. And so we asked a couple of our dragons, like, hey, what what part of horror gaming would you like to hear us talk about? And so one of the things that kept coming up was, I want to scare my players. I really want to scare my players. I don't really know how to do that. Like, how do I scare my players legitly (laughs) like and so we're going to talk about that and we i think neil and i would both say right off the bat 
that first of all, it's difficult. <laughs> like, yes. especially if you're, even if you set the mood and put candles around the room and like whatever it is, you dress up in all black and with a hood and you set, like Neil has his iPad like shining up in his face. You put it down and you have it shining up in your face like a flashlight. And there's an outside chance you're going to hear my child screaming. So, <laughs> so um, Neil is setting the mood currently. <laughs> yeah. But even if you said the mood, Neil, I don't know if it's, it's the same case when you're DMing, but when I come to the table with my friends to play any kind of role-playing game, there's always this sense of, we're going to laugh tonight. Like, we're going to have fun. And even in a horror-type gaming, I don't necessarily think that you should go in and say, no laughing. This is serious, you know? The other thing is that, I mean, personally, and I know a lot of people, laughing is a defense mechanism for fear in and of itself. So not only are you going into a scenario that you're most likely going to try and have as good a time as possible, but if it starts to get scary, you're probably going to start trying to laugh it off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Or And poke fun at the things, too. Whenever I'm watching a horror film, like that is something that I tend to do is I try to poke fun at the the goofiness in the horror movie because I like to laugh at a horror movie and watch everybody else around me freak out. That's like my favorite pastime. But one of the first things that I would say, if you're going to try and play either a a campaign or a one shot where you want this horror element, you want uh, your players to legitly get scared in some sort of a way is I think, first of all, that comes down to the players. Like, you need to talk with your group of players, and I think there needs to be a general, like, feeling of, yes, we as a group want to do horror gaming, and yes, we as a group, we want to get scared. We, we're we going to go into this, and we're going to try. Like, I think it's okay to go, hey, guys, like, we're going to do horror gaming. You don't have to say, let's just be serious the whole time and no joking, but like, let's, let's try to get into this and really like, think about like, let's get into their characters and like, try and let this creep us out a little bit. And I'll do my best as a DM to do that. But it's definitely has to do with the willingness of the players, I would say, too. Yeah, and I think a big a big factor with that would be to not spring the idea on your players because the likelihood that it will hit home is lower. If you, if you kind of look at the reverse of the idea, um, let's say we want to go to a comedy show and we decide to look up our favorite comedian. We decide to buy tickets months in advance. And so mentally you're preparing yeah. yourself for that. Do the reverse. Tell them that, you know what, this is coming up or essentially set the stage in the campaign that they're eventually going to get to this place that is truly horrifying for their characters. Yeah, Yeah, even like like even set that stage by saying, guys, like if it's something you built up to, like you just said, and not something that it was like, oh, we're doing this one shot or oh, this whole campaign starts off as a horror. But maybe it's something that you've been playing a normal campaign and something horrifying is beginning to happen like analyze that with uh your players like say hey guys what do you think about this like how do your pcs think about this this is not something that's normal this is like terrifying what's going on like mind flares have taken over the world whatever it is like this is horrifying (laughs) i think one of the other things to do in horror gaming is one thing that i think is as human beings that like scares us is this we have this fear of the unknown <laughs> like you see that through in the real world you see that in fantasy and sci-fi whatever it is we as humans have this fear of the unknown and in i think the same can be true and should be true if you're trying to put together as a dm a horror 
role-playing situation. Uh, Whether that's the killer in the campaign is unknown, whether that's attackers. And, and sometimes it's even even it comes to like stats. Like, I don't know if you have them in your group, Neil. I have players in my group that read the monster manual just so they know stats of creatures when they come up. I know all the listeners know what I'm going to say. It drives me crazy. <laughs> like, I can't stand that. Yeah, Two of my players are the guys that originally got me into gaming, and so they had 10-plus years on me before I started, mm. and I've got over 15 years playing. So there's one that he just knows, or you know, and he just kind of knows what's up the second you you put something in front of him. And I think that some people have an excuse for that. Like, as a DM, like, I'll play in Chris's campaign like the last campaign with dragons and just by the size of the dragon and the color of the dragon and all that stuff, I, as a DM can put together, I, I can't get it out of my head. I know what we're fighting and like where at on the challenge rating it is and like how hard it's going to be. And as, as DMS, like that's just something that's something that's going to come with running the game. But I think there is something to be said about homebrew creatures in the fact that if you homebrew a creature, as far as mechanics, there's something a little bit more scary to that sense. Because if you drop something in front of your players, they have no idea what it is. They don't know what it can do, uh, what it's going to make your characters unable to do. All those scary things, they're going to be a little bit more apprehensive about fighting it rather than just like, oh, it's a displacer beast. I know exactly how to fight that. Or, oh, it's a orc. There's nothing really special about it. Like, we're cool with fighting it. Given what I do with the amnestics, my next my next idea should come as no surprise. It's from the forums. A conversation that kind of came up recently was from DM Phil, where he brought up the idea of like a collectively linked undead horde. Hmm. So the assumption is that a zombie. Yeah. Well, a bunch of zombies. Mindless. Yeah. They're just going to super easy. But essentially, the, the either like these guys are all connected back to some sort of hive mind or the more that are the, together, the smarter they become. So if it's a group of them, instead of them just be mindlessly rushing you, they're starting to do flanking tactics. They're starting to figure out terrain and stuff like that. But you kill enough and they kind of get you know, dumbed down a little bit. And it just made me think of how scary that is because your immediate assumption, even... Even if you haven't been playing that long, is that a zombie's pretty pretty much a cakewalk? Nobody thinks that zombies zombies don't normally have the intel any intelligence. It's just they're they're just driven by hunger, whatever that is, from brains for human flesh. Zombie lore is all different, but like they're like they're always just they just want to attack you and eat you. And so that's it. like they'll literally walk into your sword if you swing it at their face. Like they have no like, oh, block my face. It'll kill me like mentality. <laughs> so, yeah, like they're like as players, I think that's exactly what we think of. But if you add that unknown element to it, that's frightening. And that makes sense, too. I mean, what if like there's necromancers that raise the undead? Well, what if there's a necromancer that can raise the undead, but then literally like control them and command them? in a very tactical sense. Like that makes him raising those zombies 
just like, oh, whatever, they're zombies. That makes them way more dangerous. Going along with the unknown, there's all different kinds of unknown that uh, can can add to the fear of a horror campaign. First of all, there's obviously the mysterious unknown, whether that's I'm I'm thinking along the lines of like the unseen killer. Like, you know, that there's something killing people in a town or a city or in a dungeon that you're trapped in. But you have not seen it. You don't know what it is. I even think that the unknown, the mysterious is better in like being frightening when you drop clues that don't really give answers, but maybe even sometimes add more questions like you can see like this dead corpse that's looked like it's been ripped to shreds or maybe its body has been turned inside out. When you run up to that dead body and you're like, why would something do this? And what did this like? I have no idea that mysterious, like what did this, who did this? I don't know what we're fighting is like frightening. Yeah. And I like the idea of the, um, it sounds kind of cliche, but the classic, the lights go out, the lights come back. Oh and yeah. Somebody's yeah. Dead. <laughs> the and classic there's li- there's, murder mystery. Yeah. There's literally no explanation for what it is, yeah. for what caused it. Oh yeah. So another unknown would be alien and that, I mean, not little green Martians, which I guess yeah. you could try and attempt to make those. <laughs> and, scary, and there's plenty but, of people who would say that's scary. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even I mean, just the idea of like the xenophobia. I mean, yeah. that happens in the Dungeons and Dragons world, anyways. But what if there's a race that's been that they don't that your players have just never encountered before? I mean, you know, in the mind flayers, that's one of the things that's so scary about them is that for the most part, your players don't interact with them on a regular basis and they are so alien. And that is kind of part of their origin story. Yeah, it's unknown. Like, why are they here? What can they do? It just adds to that creep factor. And like, I like that you can reveal stuff with creatures like mind flayers. And once again, it it gives you stuff that you learn about them, but it really doesn't answer anything. In fact, it opens up more questions. Like when we talked about our Mind Flayer episode, like our, our Rari monsters with Minotaurs and Mind Flayers, we looked a lot at like Mind Flayer lore and like experiments they do. Like they create they create those intellect uh, dwellers, I think they're called. Intellect they're, devourers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the brains that like have like human legs or whatever and just walk. And it's like... Some of these things that they do, you're just like, why do they do this? And the part of the fact that I like about that is you don't really need an answer to that. And if you don't have an answer to some of those, like your PCs walk into a room and find these experiments that mind flayers have been doing or walk in on mind flayers doing experiments on a character that your PCs met, an NPC, like you don't need to know why they're doing the weird stuff. In fact, if you don't know, I feel like it's even more terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that would be an un- a fear of the unknown is ancient. Whether it's like it's something that is older, kind of goes along with the alien part to it, but it's something that's older than you can fathom. I think something that kind of works with ancient and alien is we talked about it in our recent magic episode, the Eldrazi. Like those things are there's no known origin to them. They, they have just existed for longer than anybody can imagine. And like with intelligent creatures and monsters that are ancient, like I think of uh, vampires, like a lot of the times vampires in pop culture are like thousands of years old. And so when they, when you're fighting a vampire and you're trying to outsmart a vampire, it's like this vampire has outsmarted humans for like, 
thousands of years. He knows way more tactic wise, like history wise. Like he knows so much more than you could ever possibly imagine. He's ancient. He's got ancient knowledge. Maybe he has secrets to ancient power. Like the ancient unknown can be terrifying. From a perspective wise, and that's the thing about trying to even fathom the living over a thousand years. It's, it's, impossible yeah. i mean to really think about what that means and i think that's that's the part that starts to get get the fear going in a player is that like you said this person has probably killed characters like like ours countless times in the thousand years that they've been around and knows exactly how to do it what's stopping it from doing it to us and maybe it's nothing is stopping it <laughs> then the other fear of the unknown is awakened something that's been awakened and it kind of goes back again to the ancient you know I mean, this thing that's been asleep for 10,000 years and so yeah sure there's legend and lore but what's it actually going to do why is it awake in the first place what happened and how in the world are we going to get it to go back to sleep yeah <laughs> because if you know I mean, did it do this of its own accord or is that our best option can we even kill what just got awakened and i think that's i mean when something's asleep and that seems like your best option, that's pretty terrifying knowing that the option isn't just reduce it to zero hit points or anything like that. Yeah, in D&D, it's the Tarrasque. Like, the Tarrasque sleeps for thousands of years and then all of a sudden wakes up for a little bit, causes terror. You pretty much can't beat it. Like, beating a Tarrasque by the book is, like, near impossible it's just such a difficult thing to do because of its regeneration and its power and its size. And so it just wakes up, it destroys cities and then it goes back to sleep. And the people of that planet, uh, just are like, thank you, Pelor for letting that thing go back to sleep. Please don't wake it up for a long time. And it's in, in other lore, like in HP Lovecraft lore, it's Cthulhu. Like when Cthulhu wakes up, you're, you're, messed up you can't beat cthulhu like you don't hear of too many people playing a cthulhu game and beating cthulhu i haven't heard of anybody playing a call of cthulhu game and beating cthulhu personally nope that's not how that works (laughs) once again not by the book anyway and i think that to add that terror to that awakened aspect would also be if your pcs are the one that are responsible for waking it up and if in that responsible waking it up uh, moment they are able to live through that and to see the destruction and the death that is caused because of the mistake that they made in waking that up and then like they're called to okay can we can we get this thing to go back to sleep or can we beat this thing because we're completely responsible for the death of that entire civilization or whatever it is uh, the next and last uh, part of the unknown would be the unknown friend that is actually a foe or that's turned a foe. And so this could be a friendly NPC that uh, you play a campaign with for a long time and you fall in love with him. And then like there's murders happening. And of course, you're trying to figure out who the murderer is, but you would never suspect this friendly dude who's been at your side for the longest time. But unfortunately, the guy who has been such a good friend of yours is actually a serial killer. (laughs) And to turn that around on your PCs and be like, it's the guy that you never would have expected. 
And that's, you know, this is, this is a DM Mitch loving tragedy because you do this to your players and your players are pretty upset <laughs> at you because you just turned a lovable NPC into a killer. But sometimes that you, you pulling those emotions from your players at the moment, they might hate you, but they might turn around and say, wow, I've never, you've made me feel something, feel something crazy. And when that guy turned around and like tried to kill us, that was a frightening moment. I was not expecting that, but it could also be something like a friend that, uh, whether it's NPC or PC, uh, is turned into a zombie. It can be those moments where friends are mind controlled. There's a virus that's kind of turning them on you. Uh, they're possessed by an evil spirit. All those kind of things. A friend that's turned foe can be something that's definitely scary. And kind of going along with that, the unknown of something that's familiar to you that's been changed in some dark, twisted way. And I kind of think of Frankenstein's monster like he was body parts that were all sewn together. Like, that's something that's for familiar to you that's been completely changed. I also think of uh, one of my favorite fights in the Zelda games was Dark Link. And it's just this mirror evil image of Link that you have to fight. Very familiar, has all the same moves of you, but super frightening. So another idea that we have is to be descriptive with everything you tell your players. Show them, don't tell them. Essentially, the taboo words that you don't want to use when trying to fear or scare your players are the words fear and scare. That should just be your goal to accomplish while you're talking out what's happening to them. I have a couple examples, none of which are great. I can read (laughs) them if you'd like. Yeah, go for it. So the little girl turns towards you, her eyes silently weeping blood. She lifts a hand towards you. You can hear in the silence of the room her bones break during Ugh. the process. I mean, that definitely creeps me out. Where is that from? It, it was on my wild adventures through Reddit and other forums, like trying to find advice on how to do a horror campaign because it's difficult. Like we said in the beginning, and I feel like it needs to be stated several times throughout, like this is not this is not an easy yeah, task as a DM. We can give you advice for this, but... I think it really comes down to that first thing that we said. Players that want this, that want to get a creepy game going. And if you're going into this expecting to have every player at your table wet their pants, like you're probably, unless you really have the talent, you're probably going to be disappointed. Just once again, I mean, like watching a scary movie, most people are going to do that to have fun. And so it is difficult, but... If you, I think it all comes down to your, are your players there wanting to get creeped out and to be scared? Yeah, and like, and kind of off of that is that be ready. I mean, be as, be more ready than you've probably ever been for a session, in the sense that don't you shouldn't be thumbing through material, you shouldn't be doing anything because you want to be right there so that when the person laughs it off, you have the next thing ready to go, and it's just a nonstop event. For your players. Oh, yeah. Every time you need to pause the game and say, oh, let me let me check up something on that. Just make it up. Just <laughs> improv it, because as as soon as you can break out of that, like we're playing a game like and realize, oh, this is we're in real life. It's fine. Nothing's, nothing's going on scary. It, it really will upset the mood. And so, like Neil said, like you you want to be prepared for this one. 
Another element that I would say a lot of horror gaming games have that I think you should definitely bring into a D&D game, which is supposed to be horror, that is not really, I think, in a lot of D&D games. And we'll, uh, we will talk about this a little bit more later, but hopelessness. I think that horror gaming ha- should have this extreme feeling of hopelessness. And this can come in like all different forms. It can come in the form of like being overpowered. We talked about ancient creatures being awoken. We talked about alien creatures like mind flayers and there's beholders and weird creatures. When you look at like ghosts in Dungeons and Dragons, ghosts are not easy to kill. Ghosts are terrifying. Shades, we're gonna talk about witches later. Like all of these creatures and people and monsters that you fight, uh, a feeling of overpowered, this situation is hopeless because these things are stronger than we are, is really a good thing because you don't want your players like just being like, okay, let's kick this thing's butt. I'm not scared at all. Being overpowered is something that's scary. To kind of go into that, it's outnumbered. Like that could be one of the ways that you overpower your party is that there's not a group of zombies. There is a literal horde of zombies or it's yeah. not, which we'll get into this, but it may, it's not one witch. It's a coven and yeah. you have to deal with so much. And you're essentially breaking the mold that most players might have is going in and we can win. But in a horror campaign, your goal probably isn't going to be to win. It's going to be to live. To survive, yeah. yeah. That's that's the difference. I feel like that's a big difference between a regular and horror campaign. And it may be. There may be a winning element. Like, we can defeat this. But I think that beating the creature, like, with your sword and with your fireball and all that stuff in horror is not always going to be the solution. Like there's, there should, if there is a win condition, it should be something else that it's like, we have to do this covert, like get this other object that will help us destroy them or whatever it is that turns the tide. But rushing into battle is not the thing that's going to a lot of the times in horror, it can be, but a lot of times in horror, that's not going to be the thing. Maybe even tricking. Like if it's a, if it's a vampire, Vampire, your players would have to be at a crazy level to be able to go vampires let's murder them but if you could do something to maybe get that vampire tricked into exposing itself to daylight well that might be a way that you win over a creature that you're extremely overpowered by i think you made a really good point by just bringing up with the outnumbered zombies like we talked about before but like Okay, like a horde of zombies that's mindless. A normal D&D player might with a horde just be like, ah, not scary. But like one zombie? Like what D&D player, if you ever, even at level one, dropped one zombie into play, unless it's like a zombie ogre or something, just a zombie human. No player's ever going to be afraid of, here's one zombie. All right, your group of four. I hope that you can handle this. Yeah, Yeah, we can handle this. I remember I actually did a one-shot zombie campaign back with my group in New York and basically they were in this mansion and this zombie horde, like they were on this ranch mansion and this zombie horde just came out of the woods, like, and just swarmed their mansion. And it was, it was a complete like survival game. And they had to like travel through the house and every single battle, 
the challenge rating was well beyond what their level would have warranted. And so it wasn't a, hey, we're going to beat these monsters. It was a, can I survive getting from this door to that door to get the food in that room? And then can I get it back to the safe tower that all the rest of the like people who live in this mansion are hiding in because they're not fighters they're not wizards like can we survive just getting certain things to survive this horde until somebody comes and helps us and it wasn't this like we're gonna beat this but i think that overpowered and outnumbered outgunned thing is a really heavy attribute in horror gaming and making it scary the other thing would be to put a some sort of time constraint on the party i mean just because if you and if you're just sitting there and you can take as much time as you want to plan and do whatever you want then the the suspense of it kind of goes away on some level but if you it's the set time sometimes difficult to bring that sense of realism in terms of time but the way to do it would be to set a clock you know an outside yeah. a clock out of character clock that the the players then have to adhere by if they don't do x by the time this goes off then that's it the npc that they need to save is dead i love that idea like get an egg timer and just set it down and turn it away so the players don't see the time where it's at but the players know when it rings the situation will escalate (laughs) like which is fantastic which is the game where you turn it and it has the little pieces that you put in it but it has a very audible noise while it's counting down. I think that would be a, that would I think that would really help set the tone as well as if it's not just an egg timer that's counting down, but one of those timers where you can hear it just like yeah. <laughs> it might get annoying especially if you're playing for a while, but but yeah. It definitely adds to it. It absolutely adds to it and that if it doesn't get annoying then it could it would definitely be this like constant like even if it's not like your players are legitimately scared i feel like they're going to this is this i think is one of our best pieces of advice because i think they will feel this genuine panic of like no 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 we can't mess around guys we can't go and do this and we we have to get this done or this is going to happen, or this is going to happen, or something unknown that we have no idea, but we don't want to happen is going to happen. Even like, uh, I liked what you said with the NPC dying, because, you know, I'm going to, I love zombie stuff, so I'm going to think of zombies, but like if a NPC that you, you guys love, or what if it's a PC that you guys love gets bit, and maybe you, you turn that clock thing, and you're like, okay, there is a way to make this not spread, whatever that is, like cutting his arm off, like maybe you need certain tools, maybe you can get this medicine, this antidote, but you turn that thing and you're like, all right, but it's got to happen before this goes down or there's no hope. And like that, that puts a panic in your players. Like if they're not feeling fear, like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. They're at least fearing feeling panicky fear yeah i like that idea because it kind of goes back to the it almost most of the ideas that we had when it comes to turning a friend into a foe is they've been bitten by a zombie they've been bitten by a werewolf a vampire you know 
pretty much anything evil that bites you, it's not going to work out well. Uh, or they have a virus <laughs> and you have to get through that virus. Or the other the other idea is that the NPC or the PC is in some sort of ritual. And if you don't stop the ritual, what happens? Ridiculous is call not ridiculous, but as extreme as calling forth Cthulhu. Or are now they possessed? And the only option is now that we have we have to fight and put down this beloved PC or NPC. That's funny. I've never really thought of horror stuff in that kind of way that you just said before. But like that is like probably the number one rule of any type of horror is don't get bit. If it's a zombie, you don't want to get bit. If it's a werewolf, you don't want to get bit. If it's a vampire, you don't want to get bit. If it's Anything else is probably poison. If it's a mind player, you don't want to get bit. Nothing. And like, if it's not something like that, it's a big creature that's just going to eat you when it, get, it bites you. But like all that is, it's just like, oh man, just don't get bit and you might be okay. <laughs> the last thing as far as like that hopelessness goes too is, is kind of going along with time, but putting your players in a situation that it's just, whether it seems like it or it just simply is, but it's too late in the game. The zombie plague has spread too much. The mind flayers have become too strong and overtaking the planet. Like whatever it is, it's too late in the game. There's no way to turn this back. There's no way to turn the tide. And so, like you said, Neil, it's not a game of we're winning. It could be a game of just how long can your PC survive in this terrible apocalyptic event? I think you almost have to give the illusion of choice in the sense that it seems like potentially they could have gotten there in time, but no, it doesn't happen. You know, they, yeah. there is that NPC, and you know, in your head, you know the NPC is going to go, but your players don't necessarily know that, and then you have it happen right in front of them. Yeah, and that might that might be the fun in that hard game that you play it's not a guys like yes you can win this maybe it's just a like guys let's find out who the last man standing is (laughs) like and i think you have to have a good group with that because like i never like to kill off players in a one shot and just be like oh dude you died in the first five minutes like all right you can have a seat and watch us play or you can leave like i never like to do that we've said on the podcast before don't do that don't send people home don't have them be inactive but you can still do this and I, we have something coming up that we'll talk about a way that you can kill players off and yet keep people involved. But for now, we're going to talk a little bit more about like horror gaming. And so one of the things that you can do, well, there's two ways that I think you can scare players in horror gaming. And one, you can attack the their mind. And two, you can attack their body, their their player character's body. And so first of all, with the attacking the mind, I think that it's really great, even if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, to take a page out of the Call of Cthulhu RPG. In Call of Cthulhu, there is this strong sense of you probably won't even die in this game before you just simply lose your mind and go insane from the creatures that you're going to see. Like you're just going to... there In Call of Cthulhu, you have health but you also have sanity and more often than not you lose your sanity way long before you lose your lose your health and you die 
And so then it's just like your character's crazy. And then he probably dies because he can't fight anymore. Because now, <laughs> now he's crazy. But Because now he's crazy. And maybe he's crazy to the point where he just like lies down and weeps. Or maybe he's crazy to the point where he just gives up and he runs at the monster and gets ripped to shreds. But I think that in D&D, that'd be a fantastic way to add that, like, we talked about the egg timer, that panicky, like, oh my gosh, like, sense to your players. Because if you're playing, like, whatever edition you're playing, you could add wisdom saves or will saves that whenever you come across monsters that are overpowering or outnumbering, that your players have to make a dice check, whether it's will or wisdom, a saving throw, And if they don't make it, maybe you make this system of they actually have will, like there's health points, uh, there's hit points, maybe there's will points that they get a bonus added on because of their their wisdom. The lower that goes, and maybe even what you do is you start to take points off of their wisdom, and once they reach zero, they're just insane, and they're out of the game in that sense. So it's adding this other sense of you could die from health, you could die from your sanity level just decreasing and like that i think adds this panic and maybe you tell them hey as this goes down i want you to play as if you're getting more scared of these things as well yeah and i think that again we talked about it and hit home with it is that there needs to be buy-in on this idea from absolutely your players first and foremost but I feel like getting one player to really buy in and almost, I mean, help you bring that sense of dread to the table is if they're buying into it and their fear will spread to the rest of the party. The, the, there's a game that I played and it's called darkest dungeon and it's, it's a roguelike. So you can lose your, lose your players, (laughs) uh, your guys forever, which (laughs) It's terrifying because every time you step into a dungeon, you know that you might not want... I mean, you're going to permanently lose some of these these characters that you're going in. <laughs> but it does a good job of the fear spreading to others, especially if someone gets past that final threshold. Then, like you said, does, that fe- does them hitting that threshold, there's a potential to bolster them to fight against it, or they've just completely given up and gone wild and they're just throwing themselves at the enemy they've become completely hopeless and even things that you use essentially the other players could try and do won't help and i think that can really step forward the horror yeah yeah and i think there's that team aspect of it becoming scarier because the more that your allies are losing their sanity the less effective you're going to be in a battle even if that battle isn't outnumbered outpowered Like if your allies are just running because they're just to the point where they've lost their mind, they've lost a lot of their sanity and they're just scared out of their mind, then that just makes everything even more hopeless and even more scary. So a book that I have in front of me that is awesome about giving a quick system to do this is from 3.5 because let's be honest, they're are hundreds of three oh, yeah. books and it's called <laughs> heroes of horror and so one of the options is a depravity effects and essentially you have a chart that you can roll on and so there's some of the severe effects of the depravity are murderous unbalanced unresponsive paranoid enthralled apathetic i mean giving that idea to help your players play it even better play up the depravity now that they've lost their mind give them ideas tell them this is what happens to your character 
I think that's a fantastic point to make, too, because there's so many role playing levels that you can go with. Your character is losing his sanity. He's losing his wisdom points. It doesn't just have to be, okay. every time you run into battle, you're going to be afraid. Maybe it goes the opposite. And whereas your rest of your team is going run, we can't beat it. This guy is just he's lost his sanity and he's like doesn't care anymore. And he's running into battle. Or like you said, maybe he starts to become murderous. Maybe he starts to think that whatever the evil is, that it'll be appeased if at night he can take watch and kill the rest of the players or like turn them over. There's different levels of like, what does insanity do to a person? It doesn't have to just be, oh, he's scared. He's more scared. He's going to run away. It can be to the point where it's such a hindrance on your party. I feel like it'd be cool to take that book and those different effects and to make cards of that. And then it's like you lose certain amount of your sanity or your wisdom or whatever it is. And it's not like, okay, you know, you role play that the way you want to, but you pass the deck of cards and you say, shuffle it up and then take the top card. And that is don't show it to anybody, but that's what's happening to your character. I like that. This is making me really want to play a game like this. <laughs> yes. And the, well, and the other thing is, like you said, there's different levels. It's almost really hard to say that you can do this well in a one shot. I mean, yeah, if your player investment is really high, you probably can. But I would say it almost has to be a mini campaign or just a really long session because you need to play that long game to get that dread that horror to sink in and things to begin to escalate because they also on this chart there's severe and there's mild so mild is compulsive mild is neglectful opinionated so yeah it's a change in the character and like that's the tell it that's beginning the signs of well where is this going to lead to well eventually murderous and now you (laughs) you've been killed in your sleep and that's very unfortunate but it's yeah this it's an interesting book for sure another way you could go to is there's the dread system which plays off of having the actual game jenga and the jenga tower in front of you actually represents i think in the dread system it represents your group's mentality and whoever collapses the tower they so everybody's pulling from this jenga tower whoever collapses the tower they go insane and you can do that like so the point that whenever your players lose wisdom or do something or come across something that's frightening have them pull a block out of that jenga tower and as soon as one of them makes it fall their player has dire consequences in their sanity you you could also if you don't want it to be like one jenga tower like jenga towers are pretty cheap you could buy one for each player and have them each have their own sanity tower and like that's just i mean it's adding another mechanic another element to the game of dungeons and dragons but why not if you want to add a sanity system you don't necessarily have to come up with this wisdom point system you can just say like maybe you do wisdom rolls when you come across things and if you fail you pull a block or it's just whenever the dm says this is a scary situation pull a block and eventually if that falls they're done that's another like you're putting panic into your players like i see players like going i'm not going to set this up on the table because what if somebody knocks into it and having their own little side tables and stuff and and like putting their arms around it and guarding it and getting pissed off at other players when they come near their jenga tower because it falls like they're done like it just adds this scary element to the game this this panic effect yeah i really like that especially with adding it so that each player has their, their own, own yeah and yeah and with the dread 
with the dread system it's essentially to do anything you need to pull a block to do more difficult yeah. things you need to pull yeah. multiple blocks and that could be an escalation as well maybe it's not that scary and they don't need to pull blocks but then as it starts to escalate it's like no you need to pull yeah two. or even the monsters you come across like you come across a ghoul pull a block oh whatever you come across a terrifying demon with a flaming sword pull five blocks like i can just hear the players going what and freaking out and like being like five blocks and especially you know if you're fighting that level of character it's later on in the game and blocks have been pulled already so it's just oh that panic effect is what's added on here other effects you can do and this can go along with the whole like the cards but maybe like whether it's like the cards that you're losing sanity, you start to gain amnesia effects. Maybe you get repressed, like you just repress things that you see. And so you totally forget them. And like, I imagine that being terrifying because as a player, you're like, I know this thing that could help my party. Like I know what's behind that door because I quickly opened that door to check and I shut it and I survived, but I've repressed that. Or maybe it simply is an amnesia effect. Maybe there's creatures that are, are affecting you and making you forget things that would be vital information to your party. And so you can't share that stuff because you've simply forgotten that stuff. And then there's also mind control too, like creatures that can turn you on your other players or make you do things that you don't want to do. All those attacks on the mind are just terrifying. Kind of going off that mind control idea as well as the amnesia effects is, and this is more difficult and I don't, I don't know of any other way to suggest this, and I don't like that when phones are at the table, but having phones at the table and having access to individualize what's happening can really, really help you out in the sense that, you know, let's say I'm running a game and Mitch is there and I text him that he hears laughter like a small (laughs) child's laughter, but no one else knows that. Or the mind yeah, control. Rolling, like, rolling a listen check or a perception yeah. check behind the DM screen, knowing those the players' like roles ahead of time so you can do that and then just text them and say, you hear this. <laughs> and, yeah. and if they fail it and they roll a crit one, they're not seeing that they failed it. So you roll, you hear laughter. But they didn't actually hear laughter. But then all the players start freaking out like, you heard laughter? And it's like just their own mind. <laughs> or even with the mind control, uh, making, that, oh, yeah. making that a hidden roll. And so the player has failed. Failed, and then you don't tell them anything you just text them that now they're mind controlled and they have to do what you oh, tell yeah. them through text being willing to individualize it or like you said when from your story time when the player was down there by himself being willing to separate that player out yeah and trying to individualize things a lot more i think could be scary because then <laughs> the text message tone <laughs> especially if you especially if someone's getting them and you're not you're not the one sending it it's gonna be i mean it's gonna kind of freak yeah. everyone out every time that a text message comes because what what's gonna yeah. happen or do you not do you have them put it on silent and just like have them constantly have their screen on i have this image of like the little scrabble boards you know where you put your letters on but like every oh, yeah. player has that in front of them and it holds their phone in front of them and so like they have their phone nobody else is supposed to look at it and you can text them at any time and they're gonna see their phone light up and see the text and maybe they all are supposed to have it on silent so there's this constant paranoia around the table of like if you see anybody looking at their phone your mind goes immediately 
immediately to what's going to happen. And maybe just to mess with them, you send out things like like a text every now and then, like nothing's happening to you. Just look at your phone. Don't say anything. <laughs> like just yes. that, that paranoia, I think, is the strongest friend to you in a horror game. Like we said, it's difficult to legitly scare your players, but if you can get them paranoid by adding in things like this, that's going to be your greatest ally is their paranoia so for the next one and we had mentioned it before we're going to talk about attacking the body for this you want to stand up and literally punch your players in the face when they're not expecting it (laughs) no just kidding (laughs) literally tie an arm behind their back if they lose it so they can only dm's block making you lose friends But, I mean, you could have the loss of a limb, yeah. and that's, I mean, that's no small thing. And then having I mean, whatever that means to the player, like, would they only have one arm? What if they're, oh, it'd be so debilitating. What if they're a wizard? Yeah. This is something, once again, you need to know your group, because this is something that adds that element of terrifying and, like, mutilating your players. Uh, Neil went back and listened to our last Halloween episode, and I said part of the intro was mutilating your players or something like that. But, like, I think horror gaming is the point where you should and can do that, but you still need to know your group because some people, if you cut their arm off, even in this, if the situation warrants it, they're going to go, oh, no, I can't use two-handed weapons. I'm just mad, and I'm not having fun. And so if it's going to make somebody just sick of playing and not want to play, then then maybe that's not the right choice to make. Maybe there's another option. Like maybe it's not a limb, but maybe you can make them lose their eyes or their ears or their tongue or, you know, there's other options. And all of those obviously have mechanical like uh, game effects, like not being able to see, not being able to hear, not being able to talk anymore or just making sounds because your tongue has been cut out. But I do think that it is appropriate to this type of gaming. And maybe maybe you need to just preface the game and say, hey, guys things are gonna happen in this campaign that you're not gonna like and that's what hard gaming is gonna be and just roll with it don't get upset at me because i think out of all gaming horror gaming is still not dm versus the player like it's still the dms on your side but it's dm going in this type of gaming i should be mean <laughs> Like I should be, I'm trying to be terrifying and sometimes that's just being mean. Yeah. And then again, be ready to be descriptive about the kinds of things that you're going to do, especially in terms of the attack on the body, like the loss of the eyes. So, you know, what if something happens and it's, it gets into the, the character's eyes and then they begin yeah. to just start to cloud over just in no pigmentation. It's just this milky white eyes. And now it's disadvantage on anything and everything that involves vision. I like that idea, too, because as a DM, if you don't want to have a monster cut the eyeball out of a player out, well, what if some small creature gets in the eye and it starts turning black and the skin around his eye starts turning black? And instead of cutting the player's eye out, you're presenting your players with, hey, guys you probably want to cut their eye out. Like This is something which I think is even worse. Like you need to do this to him or he needs to do it to himself. Like you see something get his arm gets bit and they know they need to chop that thing off. They need to do it to themselves. Yeah, because I mean, really, that's mixing back in the attack on the mind because you've left the psychological component on the players. They have to decide what to do. It's not that how do they move forward from the fact that the monster took the eye out. It's what do we do to solve this problem? 
Along with that, there's things like illnesses, body distorting illnesses, and there's also like conditions that can be scary for attacking the body. Like anytime you're in a battle and something bites you or stares at you and you become paralyzed, like that is not a fun situation to be in as a player. That's scary. Anytime you become poisoned and you start losing health towards that or constitution damage and or strength damage or anything like that, like it is frightening, a frightening mechanic. Again. The heroes of horror, I mean, obviously you had the mind effect and they have a table for attacking the body. And so there's quite a few illnesses. And then one of the ones for the table is lungs eaten away. (laughs) Your lungs are eaten away from the inside, resulting in wet, labored, painful breathing. And so then every ability score, you know, strength, dex, constitution is reduced. And again, if you're looking more at the fifth fifth edition, every strength dex or con check is a disadvantage because now you're laboring through the fact that your lungs are getting eaten away. From <laughs> That's terrifying. One of the things that we want to talk about with we gave you guys all these different ideas of elements of creating this horror campaign or horror one shot or whatever it is. There is this truth of the matter of horror gaming that I think rings back to what we said at the beginning of players need to want to be scared and play in a horror campaign. And I think that is that the classic D&D character does not work well for horror. And what do we mean by that? Well, when I think of like the classic D&D character, I think of the D&D character that I've seen a lot of my players play, a lot of people play when I watch or listen to actual plays, but it's this sense of my character is awesome. I see an evil in the world or I see an enemy and I'm going to fight them head on. I'm going to take them down. Even if they're difficult, like I'm going to use my spells. I'm going to use my sword. I'm going to kick down that door. I'm going to sneak around them and stab them with my sneak attack. But I'm going to fight this thing head on, like is often what a lot of players have their sense of how they're going to play. And like, it makes me think of which it's funny because we're doing this episode on horror gaming and witches and Vin Diesel's movie. The last witch hunter came out yesterday when we're recording, which I totally want to see that (laughs) since it's based off of his first D and D character. But in that trailer, For The Last Witch Hunter, Vin Diesel, as his character, it says, do you want to know what I'm afraid of? And then it like fades to black and it comes back and he's like nothing or something along those lines. And I feel like that's a lot of players and the characters they create is they want their guy to be this strong, like I am not afraid of anything. I'm running into battle. This doesn't really work well in horror campaigns. <laughs> yeah, essentially the only time in a typical campaign, not the only time, but typically your players are going to wait until mechanically it's decided that they're afraid. Yeah. I have cast a fear spell and they, oh, the yeah. player has failed and now their character is afraid. Until that point, they were not afraid. It's this very hard line of afraid or not. And the only reason that it's de- deemed so is because they fail the role. Yeah, I think in a horror campaign, and we've said this already, but the monsters, the enemies, because of that hopeless, like, overpoweredness, players need to go in with the mindset of RPCs are going to not just run into battle and kick down doors, but, like, things that we encounter that the DM says, this is scary, or not even, like you said, says that, but describes that. They need to be open to letting their characters feel fear and, like, being scared to the point of maybe even sometimes being smarter about things. 
I think that when you're playing horror as a player, you should be looking for opportunities to role play your character being frightened, even to the point of like cowardice, because in a horror game, being a coward and running away isn't always losing. That could actually mean winning and surviving that campaign. I think if we run away in a regular D&D campaign, people like would point to us and laugh. Like imagine like you're playing a regular D&D campaign and you come across an ogre. If I came across an ogre in real life, I would run away from it like screaming. <laughs> but in a D&D campaign, yeah. characters run into ogres, they run into armies of orcs, they run into dragons. Like maybe dragons are the one exception, but like they run into things all the time and they just run into battle and like attack these things or like at the very least they're shooting ranged attacks at them they're not like turning tail and running away and like if you were in a group of five people playing D&D and you came across an ogre and it came to your turn and you're like uh I run away screaming everybody be like ha 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 and then you turn around your mini and you start moving him away and they're like what are you doing like seriously why are you doing this and like if you said to them like cause it's a 12 foot tall ogre and it's scary and it's got a club people would be like yeah, yeah. but what are you talking about? Like, stop trying to be, you're trying to role play. Like, but like, that is literally what a horror campaign should like as players, you should embrace that. Like scary. That doesn't mean you always need to run away. Cause there might be situations where you do want to fight these creatures and you have no other option or you need to accomplish something, but don't run into every battle with that sense of, Oh, we're going to be fine. We're going to kick this thing's butt. So before we talk about witches, we're almost there. We wanted we talked a little bit about this, but we want to expound upon this. I think this is something that you could use in a horror campaign to really set that panic and scare into your players. The playable character turned into a monster. And so we already talked about like, you know, when you get bit, things can happen to you. But in a horror game, a good way to make players afraid is by having there be a way that PCs can be turned to the side of evil. And so the game can switch from PCs versus the monsters to PCs versus PCs and the monsters. And even to the point where you're at the end of the game and there's one playable character and they're fighting all the other PCs and the monsters. (laughs) (laughs) We said earlier, like, there's a way that you can keep players at the table even after they die. I think this is a way that, or after they're defeated, I think this is a way that you could play a game and not worry about, like, I'm going to kill players when they fail stuff or when the monsters succeed, but not have to send them out the door packing, like, all right, or you can sit there and be quiet and listen and watch. Like, I think this is a fantastic opportunity, whether it's, like, zombies, and so if you die, it's basically like you're getting bit. And you turn into a zombie and maybe you add this element of the necromancer like empowers that PC to keep its like intelligence, but it's now turned to the evil ways. Or if it's a, you know, you brought up werewolves, you brought up vampires, Neil, like your PCs get turned to that. And so maybe your PCs like have to take a couple minutes and figure out what their stat changes. And, you know, you should have some form of helping them while they're doing that. Maybe you have like a guide sheet of like what you want them to do with that. But imagine like now your PCs have joined the side of the monsters and you know you could set up something really elaborate with this like you maybe you have points where you tell your friends like hey you need to leave the room because we're i don't want you to see what the other side is doing and so or if you have a good group of players that are really good at not metagaming you just have them all play at the same table and like just be like hey just 
don't bring the stuff that you see role play the way as much as you can without metagaming. But I think like adding players onto the side of the monsters can be extremely frightening, especially if you have this element of, okay, your player got bit. Why don't you move your chair to this side of the table? And just like watching the players like, oh man, that there's a lot of chairs on that side of the table now. Numbers are starting to change. I like this idea of and Neil, you said like it'd be good for a horror campaign to be longer. I don't think turning your PCs is a good long term campaign thing. I think it's a good one shot thing, but it would be, I feel like, horrifying. And I think that players would maybe even be a little too excited to be bit. (laughs) Yeah, immediately throwing themselves yeah. at the zombie board. <laughs> the, Oops, I got bit by the vampire. <laughs> yes, me, I me, mean, me. no. <laughs> oh. Oh. Okay, so the time is here. We're going to start talking about witches. Witches be crazy. We're going to start talking about all things witches. And so the first thing that we want to mention is, well, what is a witch? Well, a witch is someone who practices witchcraft. And so, I mean, here's the thing, like witchcraft, like it's explained, go to the truest source ever. Wikipedia says the practice of and belief in magical skills and abilities that are able to be exercised individually by designated social groups or by persons with the necessary esoteric secret knowledge. And so here's the thing about witches and witchcraft. I think that putting a firm definition on witches and witchcraft is a very difficult thing to do. Witchcraft is all different things over lore and over history as far as what people believe witchcraft to be. It's ancient. And I mean, that's one of the factors that we put in as to helping scare your players is that it's this ancient thing. And that's one of the difficulties of really pinning down what causes it and admittedly that's one of the difficulties of pinning down what a witch yeah, is what is witchcraft the, what is which yeah, the span of role-playing games yeah not just the span of thousands of years of history but just the decades worth yeah. of history for role like playing. is like in harry potter universe for example like a witch is just a female wizard in dungeons and dragons i don't think the majority of Dungeons and Dragons lore speaks to a witch is a female wizard. In fact, in some Dungeons and Dragons, I would like you can read that a witch is a female warlock (laughs) or a warlock is a like you think of a bewitched the old TV show. A warlock was Mm -hmm. specifically a male witch. And so there's all these definitions of, and is there male witches? Some lore says that, yes, there's male and female witches, which is not a female thing. Here's the thing. (laughs) Tonight, with our discussion, we're talking about witches as in the female witches. We're talking about the witches that you think of with Halloween. And we're going to talk about witches and witchcraft in the sense of what we typically think of witchcraft as being. And so this argument with witchcraft, not argument, but you could make arguments for what witchcraft is, for what witches are up and down and pull out different sources. And so we get that. And so what we're saying here isn't the canon of witchcraft and witches, but this is stuff that we think of when we think of witchcraft and witches. So we're going to talk about that for our Halloween episode. And so let's kind of dive into that. So first of all, Neil, let's talk about some examples of witches from pop culture. So we have quite a few you that a couple, we yeah. came up with, and it runs such such a wide gamut. I mean, like we said, it's kind of hard to pin it down, but you brought up 
Bewitched. Yeah. There's also Melisandra from the Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. There's Harry Potter. Yep. Bellatrix, the Strange, the White Witch of Narnia, which I feel like I mean, it's there in the name, but I feel like that's a very different look at yeah witches. a lot if you go through like all these witches like they all have a different like bellatrix lestrange and the white witch very different look up about them whereas if you have the wicked witch of the west from wizard of oz that's like the quintessential yeah. like classic this, halloween witch yeah <laughs> this is like if you go buy a costume like this is the costume that you're most likely going to get the other one that i was thinking of is almost like the witch example for dungeons and dragons would be baba yaga mm, yeah baba yaga's hut i mean that's as early as first edition if not earlier and up through all the editions that's kind of your classic dungeons and dragons example of a witch. Yeah, and then you've got Morgan Le Fay from the Arthurian Legends. You've got Rowena from Supernatural. All these are really popular witches from different fictions, but they all are different. They're all witches, but they all are different in their own sense. And I think that that brings an element to it. And so let's, first of all, let's talk about their witchcraftery. <laughs> like, what is witchcraft as far as when we think of like witches when we're talking about like creating a horror campaign if you want to use witches i mean obviously the first one is like just witchcraft can be simply a form of spell casting and i think this is where you know witches with spell casting it starts to get like hazy of like wait why is witchcraft when we're thinking of like dungeons and dragons why is witchcraft different than like wizardry why is it different than like being a warlock and in DD mechanics senses maybe you just say well i'm going to create a different spell list for witches but like why is it different but there is a sense of in a lot of lore that witchcraft is certain kind of spell casting whether it's from a wand or a staff or just from saying magical words yeah, and i think it's a good point that they're probably going to end up with a specialized spell list or yeah. another thing is a lot of them will end up with hexes maybe opposed to actual just yeah. Lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. It's, you know, they'll end up with hexes where it's more of almost like a debuff type class. Yeah. Hexes and curses. I agree. I think that's, that would be very good for a D&D campaign, which like having them do debuffs or instead of like buffing themselves up, like putting certain curses and hexes on you to make you weaker or whatever it is. All of a sudden your fighter can't pick up their Warhammer because they look at their arms and they're all shriveled and they've lost strength. Oh man. In fifth edition with the strength requirements for armor. Oh, yeah. What do you like? You just you drop to your knees and then you're, yeah. you're you can't move <laughs> and oh, you're man. you're trying to frantically take it off. Yeah, that's a good point, though. Like, I think that is classic, which like they're going to more be casting stuff to hurt you rather than help themselves. I think also when you think of like popular culture, witches often have like this alchemical magic. Obviously, when you think, yeah, you, you just did the motion right there of yep. the turning cauldron, like double, double toil and trouble. Like I have new, mm -hmm. like uh, we always think of witches mixing stuff in a cauldron. But most of the time when it's in a cauldron, you don't see them like drinking it as a potion or whatever it is. And I think that goes along with my next one, which is kind of like the ritualistic magic. And there's some sort of alchemical aspect there, but there is like an alchemical aspect to which is like whether it's creating 
potions or poisons like I obviously Snow White and the poison that's, apple. That's exactly like, right. Yep. Like here, eat this apple. Like it's it's poison. Don't eat it. Like she does not look like a nice person. Don't eat the apple. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about like most of the aspects of the witch are really focusing on doing harm yeah. to the other person mm-hmm. above and beyond anything about helping themselves or I mean, like this. All this time is spent on this potion that's gonna harm you. Yeah, not help me. Yeah, and then going along with, like, that ritualistic harming, like, you think of that cauldron and they're putting things in, but, you know, a lot of times in that lore, they're not drinking it, they're putting it in, like, creating this alchemical potion or brew that because they create it like something changes in the world like they've put the right kind of components together that allows something exterior to what's in that cauldron to occur which i always think is kind of interesting and i kind of always like that in role-playing games like i've played characters before that i've wanted to get really into And I've had players want to get into like the ingredients in potions and in spells and, oh, can I find these things and collect them? And then once I collect them, can I try and make something happen with them? Like not too many people want to get into that when they're figuring out, oh, how does this health potion work? How does this poison work? How does this spell work? But like in D&D, they naturally have these components to them and like a witch creating this brew and putting things in. Like if she gets the right stuff, like what if you have to make a deal with a witch and she asks you for some weird stuff and you're just like, I know that this is going to no good. <laughs> like this is not no good. good can come of yeah. this. And then there's like blood magic too. Like Melisandre from Game of Thrones, like she uses the blood of people with royalty to turn the tide of things and to affect the outside world to what she wants or what she often says is what other people want <laughs> things to happen. Like there is this like ritualistic magic, I think, to a lot of witches. The other thing is that recently there's been the idea that there's this pact with some outside patron, be it a demon, a devil, something, something along fey, those lines. Something, yeah, something like that. Similar to, in going back to what we had said before, the warlock class from 5th edition. Yeah. Warlock, male, witch. I mean, you could, I mean, if you wanted to, you could just put a different name on it, and it could be a witch. Yeah. The class in 5th edition, and I know that the witch class in Pathfinder, it's the exact same thing, that they create a pact with an outsider to gain their powers. And, that I mean, that's a really interesting twist, because how much does that feed into what they do? How much doesn't it feed into what they do is the outsider completely okay with just giving that power because of the chaos that the witch is sowing in the world or do they require something yeah is it a we're mutually helping each other or is it like a somebody's in charge here like the witch creates this circle to summon this creature up or i always love the lore that it's like if you know something's true name you control power over it so do these witches figure out the name of like a outsider and call that name and maybe it's got that like you say it three times and it appears like kind of thing and then they control them and and maybe the the outsider always hates being controlled and so they're always looking for ways to break the deal and kill the witch or maybe it's the other way around that the outsider controls the witches and the power of the witches comes from being controlled by outsiders but it definitely adds this interesting element i think of supernatural with that because there's always things going on in that show where the witches in that show are making deals with certain outsiders and that's that's where a lot of that lore comes into mind for me with witches so the other thing we want to talk about is the appearance of the witch again a lot of different ways but i think the thing i want to bring up about the witch and how it could be creepy and tying it back into the horror ideas before is that it's humanoid 
your ability yes. to describe what this old lady looks like and take it that step further to be creepy is easier for your players to understand than you trying to talk about a creepy gibbering mouther. If you can really sell that, it works. But at the end of the day, that I mean, your player could just look at it as a pile of jello with a bunch of mouths <laughs> on it, and that's not really that scary. Um, but the fact that you can very clearly define what a humanoid creature looks like and take it to that next level, I think really helps step up the horror aspect. Yeah. And there's two ways to go about that, too. It can either be something that is, once again, familiar in, like, not only is it humanoid, but it's strictly, like, it looks human. The witch looks human. And we're going to break this down into the look of, like, a witch looking creepy and a witch looking deceivingly beautiful. Like, those are both options. But then there's also the option of it can be humanoid and look familiar, but there's something off about that witch. And, like, that whole going back to the unknown fear of the unknown, like, that familiar thing that's been changed in some way and so let's break that down like uh, what is a creepy witch like when you think of like the creepy witch i think obviously we think of that the wicked witch of the west the classic halloween witch but like if you're gonna describe a creepy witch neil like what are some things that you're gonna like describe to your players so the other thing would be the other term i would use is hag that's the other kind of that would be almost that monster i agree that kind of went through older editions i mean it's early as 1975 and the very early editions of like original dungeons and dragons are hags are hags in original dungeons and dragons like lore wise are they humans like because that was the thing that i was i was kind of hesitant to to say on i wasn't sure if hags are actually humans yeah i think they're either human or have that fake aspect i yeah i'd have to yeah because i know there's i know there's sea hags and there's like there's forest hags and things and there's swamp hags. And I think once you get into that, I think they do have this. Maybe they were human. It'd be interesting. I don't know a lot about hags, but so like that creepy one is almost like descent into this mostly humanoid yeah. aspect, kind of like when Gollum is at his last legs. You <laughs> yeah. have that long, stringy hair, bald spots. The maybe they have ritualistic tattoos that they've done. Very dark clothing. Oh, and. Black. What about even like not not just regular tattoos, but tattoos that have been like carved with a knife rather than like mm-hmm. an ink like that's even creepier. You see the bump yeah. tattoos, dark clothing, ta- just tattered and worn. The person's old, wrinkled warts. Again, this person has no real concern for themselves. Yeah. Like that's, no. that's that creepy witch. Like they're the last person they think about. They're always thinking about what they can do to the other person. <laughs> claw like nails, the like, flies, gnats all around her. Then just everything is like the shepherd. Yeah. Nothing looks right about this person. Yeah. Even like I think of the classic witches from. I think they were, was it in the Odyssey that you have the witches with the one eye and they're all missing an eye? And I know they brought them back for the Disney's Hercules, but I think it was originally in the Odyssey. Possibly. We'll, we'll go with that right now. Yeah. Listeners can write in and tell me how wrong or right I am. But yeah, like you're right. Like it's this, just, I like that once again, turning it back to they're not worried about themselves. They're worried about hurting others. <laughs> and I also like this idea of like a witch who looks like this, like just totally disgusting and creepy. But if you talk to her, she talks about herself like she is the most beautiful woman in all the land. It's like I'm holding in my throw up just looking at you. But she talks about herself like she's gorgeous and she sees people who are like well put together. And she talks about them like they look nasty and filthy and like disgusting 
disgusting. But then there's the flip side of the coin and you could have like witches that are deceivingly beautiful and they can have beautiful features. They can wear elegant clothing. They can have a captivating stare. Like maybe you introduce this witch as like a like you see this beautiful woman across the room. And so maybe one of your PCs who thinks he's a player like wants to go over and like chit chat with this beautiful woman who's secretly a witch. She has a sweet sounding voice. She has well-groomed hair. Uh, Maybe, you know, I think of with like that creepy witch, them having like this gross, moldy, crooked staff. These witches perhaps have a a rod that is elegant and with a crystal on it or a beautiful staff or even just an elegant like ivory wand, like very, very different look than the creepy witch. But I think both of those kind of witches can have that element of like, fear like the first one you know you're getting into dangerous situations the other one not so much but when they turn around and you just can feel the evil coming from them when they turn on you it can be even more powerful a great example of that is not that it's like the world's greatest movie but hansel and gretel uh witch hunters the lead witch is famke jansen Uh she definitely falls into the deceivingly beautiful <laughs> category in that movie but then once she goes essentially full witch she looks more like the creepy factor and you know and it's like this ploy to lure you in and then yeah there's also up. uh the movie i think it's called stardust you ever see stardust I, <laughs> I like the movie i know that it, most of our listeners are probably thinking if they know what it is think it's awful and a terrible movie but i thought it was pretty entertaining but there's these three witches in that that they steal i think the power of like uh, they steal some power maybe it's the fallen stars or whatever which end up being humanoids and like that's how they give themselves the look of looking like young and beautiful. And so what, the more that they use their witchcraft, they start to grow more grotesque and disgusting looking and looking. So you can have a witch that kind of has both those sides. They can have a beautiful look to them and maybe they have to like kill people to gain their youth or whatever it is but which adds to the their terrible evil creatures so the other option like we talked about before is what capacity does this witch interact with the world is it her by herself down at the bottom of a giant hole and they're just in their little cottage looking thing or is it a coven tons of examples of that where it's a gathering of witches and there's you know in this larger force that you have to deal with i mean that could be a campaign setting where you have to eventually get to the end of all these witches yeah the size of a coven could vary it can be that classic three from Macbeth has the three witches there's hercules i think like i said maybe it's the odyssey double double toil and trouble three is like a seems to be a popular number and then like in history like they would spread rumors that coven's had a 13 members which i have to imagine either started or was part of that whole 13 as an unlucky number thing but then like you said it could be a coven of hundreds of witches which is just scary yeah the reason the coven becomes so scary is that especially with that ritualistic idea yeah. now we have 100 witches that are all doing the same ritual what does yeah. that mean like what are they going to call forth what are they going to accomplish now that that much power is collectively together yeah. and the other thing is how long can a witch live that's your dis- discussion yeah. as a dm but if it's hundreds of years now you have all of this knowledge collected together as well and just everything escalates the more that you add into yeah and even if they do live a normal human lifespan like pat if it's a coven that's survived like thousands of years they could have knowledge that's been passed down to the other witches and whatever it is 
They're obviously going to have protection, better protection with each other and being unified. They can also, you know, with that gaining knowledge, gaining power, they're going to be able to accomplish, say, go on quests as far as they can gain more power and more knowledge as well. And then the other thing, though, is that by no means do, does them being together mean that they're all best buddies. And no, they have, <laughs> they have a witch slumber party every night. Yeah. No, it's they're probably <laughs> at each other's throats. And that may be the thing that's not allowing the coven to really take over the world is that there's too much infighting and backbiting and then who knows what else you're in this struggle for power of am i in charge are you in charge (laughs) now there's one less witch and i am in charge kind of thing yeah i mean like you think of like all those pop culture references before like the the witches from hercules they're all fighting over the one eye the witches from double double toil and trouble they're all like nasty to each other they don't they're not like nice to each other the witches from stardust same exact thing like they're all just plain nasty to each other i don't think witches know what the term friend means and like yeah that constant power struggle and they may be unified to have more power and to be able to share knowledge but i imagine that every witch in the end is looking out for herself like not for the good of the coven but like in the end they're going to choose themselves over the coven then of course the other side is the super creepy loner that's been living again at the bottom of a hole in cavern deep within the woods not interacting with anybody else totally concerned about their almost their own individualized quest for gaining more power at the cost of themselves you know, and we've talked about all these struggles that you would have inside of a coven. Maybe they just don't want to do that anymore. They just set out on their own and then just sequester themselves. Or the other option, of course, is that the coven decides that they should sequester themselves yeah. and they just <laughs> kick them out. I wonder, like, if you present a situation to your PCs that they out a coven of witches and they're looking for this one particular witch and that witch isn't there and they ask where that witch is gone and that witch was, like, kicked out of the coven, banished from the coven because of the evil crimes that she committed. And this moment as players that you're like, what did that witch do that was too evil (laughs) for this coven of witches? This is not going to be a good thing. (laughs) that we're going to have to find this witch. So like, those are all like ideas to help you like with the idea of like a witch and putting witches in your campaigns and fighting witches. But here's the thing. Like, I think that if you want to not just have a witch in your campaign or a coven of witches and fight witches, you can literally flip this on its head. And maybe you don't want to have the witch be the evildoers in the campaign, but maybe you want to take a leaf out of like real world history and look back at like the witch hunts. And we all have heard of the Salem witch trials. Like there was witch hunts in Europe. There was witch hunts in Russia, like all over the world. There's witch hunts and you can take like history. And in the real world, the people who were hunting the witches were really the monsters, like the people who were doing terrible things. And so you could have a campaign that starts off. Maybe you even, maybe that's the twist in the campaign or the adventure that you start off with you're going to this campaign to to hunt down witches and then you either realize that maybe it's all a load of bupkis that 
these witches are not actually witches and they're being brought to trial and killed like unfairly. Or maybe like there is such a thing as like a white witch, a witch that's good. And maybe this witch is just it's a healer that's trying to help people. But because of the village or the town, especially this works in like a low fantasy type game where people are just afraid of magic. They want to track that witch down and kill her. And maybe the campaign turns into like you're not fighting the witch. You're trying to help the witch escape from the evils of the town people. If you want to do this and go with the witch hunt campaign where maybe you're having to deal with witch trials and stuff, it's always good to look at our own world's history to gain some horrifying perspective. And here's the thing. If you start looking at witch hunts, be careful. It's not all family friendly. (laughs) There's some really creepy stuff out there that people did to other people back during these terrible times. And like one of the things that they would do like is if they caught a witch, a quote unquote witch is that they would have trials. And so if you want to add this into like a campaign to show how evil like these superstitious people are, there's all these trials that you can look up that they did to test witches. I think the one that's most talked about and known about is the ordeal of cold water. And that is when the witches were dunked in the water and if you died you were deemed innocent which is oh that's fantastic isn't it and so a member of the clergy in the real world uh, you can make this a cleric of Pelor or whoever they proclaim you as being brought back or redeemed so if you died you're innocent and they're like oh I guess she wasn't a witch I claim her as being brought back she's redeemed and so win win right like you're you're dead so cool or if you floated you were deemed to be a witch and you were sentenced to death so the other interesting one and a lot of people might be familiar with this because it came from the salem witch trials and i know that's a common thing that is taught in schools is the witch cake so it's a really weird counter magic thing where the supposedly it's the supernatural dessert used to identify suspected evildoers in case of like the mysterious illness or possession witch hunters would take a sample of the victim's urine mix it with rye meal and ashes and bake it into a cake this weird concoction was (laughs) fed to the familiars or animals or whatever helpers of the witches in hopes that the creature would fall under its spell and reveal the name of the guilty sorcerer yeah so that's right there is they made the world's worst cake and then fed it to animals hoping they would go completely lassie and point at which person is the evildoer. And I feel, but I feel like that's fantastic for like a campaign. If you want to show how superstitious the people are and how like, what are you talking about? This is, this is not a good way to figure this out. Like even in a world where witches do exist and maybe they're doing evil things. It's like, maybe that's the thing. Maybe you have to find an evil witch and it's like, you're fighting the evil witch and you're fighting the fact that the town is like executing innocent women of witchcraft because they're doing these stupid things like witch cakes i mean the example from the salem witch trials is the person that helped come up with the idea to do it was then later accused of being a witch when it didn't work because she knew how to do it in the first place <laughs> and it's just you know this yeah. fear, this perpetuating fear that it just compounds on itself and gets more and more far-fetched yeah well there's the there's another example from the salem witch trial where like it was said that the witches could not 
quote scripture because they were, you know, they had their evil element to it. And you can take that into a fantasy campaign and say, you know, they, you have the believers of the town saying, witches can't quote the holy text of Pelor or the holy text of Heronius because they're unable to say those words. And there's like cases in the Salem witch trials where people would do that. And first of all, like if you're like, all right, you have to read this. If anything you're reading, like if you're like, if you mess this up, you're dead. People would stutter because they're scared and be like, she's a witch. And they burn her. She's Uh a witch, which is like messed up. But then like there were cases where a person would do it so well and read and they're like, oh, clearly it's witchcraft going on. She's tricking us burner and it's like there's no winning with these superstitious people and you can yeah. have that be an element in your campaign of like these terrible townspeople are you go into this campaign going we're hunting down this evil witch but you realize that the real evil is these town people maybe there is a witch that's evil maybe there isn't a witch but the real issue is these people are just killing people left and right saying that they're witches and so if they found out that they're a witch there's the classic they would be they would burn them at the stake if it wasn't burning them at the stake they would stone them if it wasn't stoning them they would kill them by putting a board on top of them and putting rocks on top of them until they confessed that they were a witch and then at that point when they confessed that they were a witch and by the way if you put a board on somebody and say confess you're a witch and put rocks on them it doesn't matter if they're a witch or not (laughs) eventually they're gonna say i'm a witch i'm a witch because you're crushing them with stones and so eventually they would get that confession or not but confession or not then they would go okay she confessed she's a witch put more rocks in her until she dies and there were all these other ways that they would kill witches and i'm saying kill witches but they would kill women accused of witchcraft in in real life that you could take in a game and this is just terrible stuff but like if you want that like element of townspeople who are terrible and they are the monsters in your campaign these awful townspeople that you have to like have this turnaround if you want to not fight witches but you want to help witches or have this twisted part of your campaign the superstitious townspeople can be a great way to do that so the i mean these are absolutely terrible as the examples are that we've given that is probably the lighter side of the things that happen yes so there's another one called strapado you can look it up if you'd like or Warning. not that's up to you <laughs> yeah and there's so many more that they go so much further than this so yeah <laughs> and i would recommend that if you're under the age of 18 not to look <laughs> up and yeah just leave it at that they're messed up we hope that you enjoyed our talk about horror gaming and ways to freak out your players i think we had a lot of good ideas of putting panic on your players like the jenga tower which is not our idea it's the dread system but you can add that into your campaign some sort of sanity points going on adding the egg timer in. i love the cards that affect the mind different ways the texting neil that was fantastic these are all ways that now i want to like have a super duper horror game with all these elements (laughs) in them that just like affect everything and just have my players be completely freaked out although i would love to play in a game like this too but we hope that you enjoyed our discussion on how to make your players panicked in horror gaming and also our discussion on witches covens and the evils of witch hunts and how you can turn a campaign on its head and make your players think they're hunting witches when in fact the real evil needs to be dealt with the village itself with that neil I think that you should do the honor of turning it over to the next person who's going to take over. I think that we should turn it over to me <laughs> and listen to DMnastics, and that's weird. Go me. 
Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I'm DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. I'm Magic Mark. Hashtag Magic Mark. Hashtag Magic Mark. It doesn't work without the hashtag. We can't figure out what you're doing on the internet. <laughs> yep. So for this one, it's actually tied back to one of the more beloved episodes. I don't know. I mean, it was so it was so awesome that I feel like it stands apart from some of the other ones. And that was Hired Heroes Episode 1 Origin Story. So for this, Diamnastics, it ties back to Diamnastics number 20 on the forums. And that was titled Heroes for Hire. Essentially, at the end of the Hired Heroes episode, there were only three hired heroes. So I figured that it would be a cool thing to kind of come up with our own ideas for mercenaries and characters that could be potentially hired by the hired heroes or used or something along those lines. So uh, I'll pass it over to hashtag Magic Mark to talk about one of those. All right, so up first we have Tesla Rangers, uh, Warforged Druid, Shambling Joe. His preferred job would be vanquishing evil. As qualifications, as he once faced a rust monster, and as a Warforged, is there any more information he needs to say? Oof. Currently affiliated with, there's a whole business with war, and that can be assumed and deduced, however. Education, he's had not really any real education outside of being part of the sky and earth. His price for hire is he's always wanted to locate a living specimen of rare Serunos flowers, and he'd happily work for some help with that adventure. And as a tagline, he would say, I will make your heart sing. It was a really awesome concept in the first place. It, just the fact that it's a Warforged Druid. And then the picture that's on the forum is super awesome as well. So for the second one, we're going to focus on Whip Stash's Hero for Hire. And his name is Karumak the Fallen formerly Karumak the Hunter. So his job responsibilities, scouting, dispatching of enemies quietly. And he would say that his qualifications are that I have done nothing of which I'm proud. My life is only sadness and dishonor. I remember this one more now that I saw that I've started reading this. I mean, it's just a very troubled character. And I mean, even these simple questions have given a lot of insight onto like how a character could be built with like a really cool backstory. So the organizations, fighters, guilds, things like that. Education. He was once the most celebrated and accomplished hunter in the Skull Claw Orc tribe, having learned how to track prey from the clan's chieftain. So it's price for hire. You will decide what you think my skills are worth. I suggest you choose a reward I agree is fair. Definitely a cooler character. Kind of like that super grizzled guy. So then for mine that I added it was kind of I don't know like trying to think of who this guy looks like he's just super super beefed out he's probably on some steroids or something looking character but he's got an eye patch and a bow staff I named him Norak Thundercrush and his preferred jobs are muscle anti-muscle more muscle and breaking things his qualifications and career accomplishments section are never bested in arm wrestling, and he's lifted the portcullis on several castles and helped defend against the orc invasion of 34. 
I don't know what 34 really means, but it sounded good at the time. So it's education, no education for this guy. That's not how it works. He's just all about that OJT, on-the-job training. He's only uses blunt instruments now because he prefers not killing unless absolutely necessary. And that kind of fits into the best or worst job experiences in that he was forced to kill people when he didn't want to. So now he kind of carries that with him. So what I've thought to do is actually grill hashtag magic mark about his character from Hired Heroes, Sev Sodhopper. So does Sev have any nicknames? Sev is a character in and of himself, and nicknames are kind of something that he doesn't need. So most people just call him Sev, but then he gets the typical lapid nicknames of rabbit, uh, steak, and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of food references by more carnivorous folk. But yeah, I can't think of any particular ones off the top of my head. Let's see. So the other one is preferred job responsibilities. Sev is the magic wielder of the group, which uh, most of you have probably noticed if you've listened to the episode. He is the go-to glass cannon, so to speak, for the group. And he's been doing that for a long time, well before the first episode of just casting fireballs and making stuff dead. He's also kind of the humor of the party. He's full of the clever quips and comeback statements to bring relief to the group when things get a little more serious. Awesome. I would say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but if I were to guess, I would say he is a sorcerer rather than a wizard. Uh, yes, that would be an accurate assumption. I mainly make that assumption because at some point you guys said like wild magic and I was like, aha, well, yeah. that would explain why a Modron just ra- <laughs> randomly appeared. Yep. I think his wild magic triggered, I think, two or three times in the first episode. Okay. And there was one point where he like appeared from blank and his spell didn't go off and just everything around him died because he did like a detail oh. of necrotic damage to like 400 rats. That makes sense. That, is, that makes so much. Okay. Awesome. Organizations currently slash previously affiliated with obviously current would be the hired heroes. Before that, his ancestry is rooted heavily in the riders of Shemesh, and he was a sailor on a ship for a while. Any formal education? I mean, since we've established the sorcerer class, it, from the mechanic perspective, is there any formal training? No, not not really. When he was born, it was wartime, so he had a lot of learn-on-the-go kind of stuff. Okay, let's see. Price for hire. He'll do anything for five gold. Party. <gasps> five gold in a party. Five gold in a party, yeah. Oh, man. If you guys do not know where that came from, that is from Titan's Grave, which came out of the Tabletop series on YouTube. And you need to finish listening to this and every episode from the Dungeon Master's block and then go listen to that because it is amazing. Yeah, I think I even made a five gold in a party reference in the episode. Oh, that's awesome. I will have to re-listen. And that one or this upcoming one? I think it was very early in this upcoming one. Hashtag, five go- hashtag Magic Mark says hashtag five golden party. Yeah. <laughs> I know you kind of mentioned that Sev's the comic relief. Would he have any taglines or kind of common quips that he uses? He is a big lister. If you notice in the episode, I think several times he goes one and then says something and then two and then says something and then three. And then said something as like listing the flaws with a situation or his reasons to not participate in a thing. Yeah, so that's one of his big quirks is that he 
lists and numbers as he lists. Taglines is, well, he uses magic words to do his casting and things like that. And that's been a fun thing to develop in our sessions and things like that. Yeah, taglines. I don't know if he has any real taglines other than being witty when we need somebody to be witty. All right. So you can choose one of the two and then describe it. Best or worst job experience? His worst job experience is when he was on a ship as a deckhand. He was part of the like bilging crew so all he did for like days and days was go to like the bottom of a ship and fill up a bucket and then dump the bucket off the edge of the ship so he would go up and down stairs for like almost a full year of sailing to get away from where he was yeah so first of all he wasn't able to use magic to kind of cheat his way out of doing that job because he would often try and like summon creatures to do the work for him and just like supervise his minions but the captain of that ship was really anti-magic so Sav had to do it himself, and he really didn't like that. Awesome. If you guys want to join up and grab, there's quite a few pictures in there that were added. So if you guys want to join up and grab one of those and describe that hero for hire, go ahead and do that. And then jump in on all the awesome conversations that are there. Head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net and try some DMnastics so your players don't ask, do you even lift? I got to get a pump. That's it. Good. It hurts. I know it does. That's it. Get it. Well, that's all that we have for you on today's episode of the Dungeon Masters Block. We hope that you enjoyed this discussion on horror gamings and witches and covens and witch hunts and all of that. Uh, I can't say great. <laughs> all of that terrible, terrifying stuff. Neil, if they want to get in touch with us, email us some horrifying stories that they have of their campaigns. If they want to get in touch with us and tell me how I messed up and the witches are not from the Odyssey or that they are, and great job, DM Mitch, you were right. If they want to just email us any questions, if they want to do any of that great stuff, where can they reach us at? They can reach us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. The other option, if you liked what you heard here or previous episodes or maybe an episode in the future, you can head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review and get a shout-out on the podcast. You can also head over to Stitcher. You can also follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. You can like our Facebook page. Both of those places have fantastic memes and news about our show, upcoming episodes, all that great stuff. And sometimes DM Neil gets a retweet. Yes. (laughs) We have a Patreon member shout out of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout out is Chris Bridges. Bridges. Chris Bridges is an awesome silver dragon. You got to fear those silver dragons. (laughs) Uh, So thank you, Chris Bridges. Thank you so much for all of your support. We really, really appreciate it. Indeed. Well, we hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of awakening ancient evils, raising your undead characters, and lowering the constitution of all the characters at the table, Skywalker. 
And like Truman said, unlike DM Chris, good morning. And in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Ah, I like it. Keep on dungeon mastering. <laughs> yes. Goodbye.